are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I am reading this work of the Venerable Maria Vagrida, four volumes, over 2,500 pages. And if you would like to discuss today's reading, you can do so over at the Facebook group, Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. And there, other listeners and readers of this work are discussing their insights that they are gleaning from each day's readings. Today is day 35, and we finish chapter 18 today. We pick up where we left off at paragraph 274, and we'll finish at 282. He continues, And names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. For the angels receive their names according to the ministry and service, for which they are sent to the earth. And because these twelve princes are especially attached to the service of the Queen of Heaven, in order that they may assist in the salvation of men, and because all the elect are included with the twelve tribes of Israel, forming the holy people of God. Therefore the evangelist says that the angels bear the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. To each one of the twelve tribes one of these angels is assigned. Under their charge and protection are all those that, from every nation and generation, enter through the portals of the intercession of the Most Holy Mary into the celestial Jerusalem. Wondering at this exaltation of the Most Pure Mary, and that she should be the mediatrix and the portal of all the predestined, I was given to understand that this prerogative befits her, who as Mother of Christ was to do such great things for men, conjointly with her Most Holy Son. For she furnished him from her own purest blood and substance with a body, in which he suffered and redeemed men. An account of her close connection with his flesh and blood, she in a manner died and suffered in Christ, freely of her own will accompanying him in his passion and death, suffering with him according to her power, with heavenly humility and fortitude. Thus, as she cooperated in his passion and offered herself as a victim for the human race, so the same Lord made her a participant in his dignity of Redeemer and placed her in charge of the merits and fruits of redemption to be distributed by her own hand and communicated to the redeemed. O admirable treasurer of God, how secure are in the heavenly and bountiful hands the riches of the omnipotent. Hence this city had three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west, etc., the three gates corresponding to each of the four quarters of the world invite all the mortals to draw near to him who is the creator of all, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Each of the three persons desires and ordains that most holy Mary should be in possession of the gates for soliciting the divine treasures for mortals. Although there is but one God and three persons, each one for himself concedes free entrance and admission to this most pure queen in order that before the tribunal of the immutable and triune being she may intercede, solicit, and receive gifts and graces for those that seek her and honor her in the world. Therefore, as there are not one but three portals in every direction, none of the mortals anywhere in the universe and of any nation and tribe shall have an excuse. The entrance into free and open city gates is so easy that if anyone fails to enter... It is not because the gates prevent him, but because he himself tarries and does not wish to seek safety. What then shall the infidels, heretics, and pagans say? And what excuse have the bad Christians and the obstinate sinners 
If the treasures of heaven are in the hands of our mother and lady, if she continues to call us and solicit us through her angels, if she opens not one but many gates to heaven, how is it that there are so many who remain outside and so few who enter through them? And the walls of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the twelve names of the apostles of the Lamb. The strong and unshakable foundations upon which God built up the holy city of Mary, his mother, are her virtues, as governed and proportioned in her by the Holy Ghost. He enumerated twelve corresponding with the names of the apostles, in order to show that it is founded upon the surpassing sanctity of the apostles, who are the leaders among the saints. For according to the saying of David, the foundations of the city of God are placed upon the holy mountains, and also inversely, the sanctity and wisdom of Mary grounded and confirmed the apostles after the death and ascension of Christ. Although she was always their instructress and model, yet in those times she alone was the chief support of the primitive church. Now, because she was destined and endowed for this office by the corresponding virtues and gifts from the moment of her immaculate conception, therefore they are called the twelve foundations of this city of God. And he that spoke with me had a measure of reed, of gold, and he measured the city with the golden reed for twelve thousand furlongs, etc. By these measurements, the evangelist alludes to the great mysteries of the dignity, graces, and gifts and merits contained in the mother of God. Although the measurement of the dignity and benefits which the Almighty conferred upon her were exceedingly great, yet they were within possibility, and they were also proportioned. And the length thereof is as of great as the breadth. From all sides she is equally well formed without a sign of deficiency, inequality, or disproportion. I do not expatiate thereupon, but rather to what I will say about this in the course of the history of her life. But I desire to mention that the measure of the dignity, the merits, and the graces of the Most Holy Mary was none other than the humanity of her Most Blessed Son, united to the Divine Word. The evangelist calls the humanity of Christ a reed, because he assumed the frailty of our weak and carnal nature and of gold, an account of his divinity. In accordance with the dignity of the true God-man, Christ, and correspondingly with the gifts and merits of the incarnate God, also his most holy mother was measured. He it was who measured her with himself, and she, being thus proportioned, seemed in her office as mother, exalted to a dignity corresponding to his. In the length of her gifts and graces, and in the breadth of her merits, in all things did she seem well proportioned without defect. She could not be equal absolutely to her most holy Son with an equality which the learned call mathematical. For Christ our Lord was true God and man, whereas she was a mere creature, and thus the measure exceeded infinitely that which was measured by it. Yet the most pure Mary was adjusted according to a certain equality of proportion to her divine Son, just as there was wanting in him nothing that corresponds and belongs to his dignity as the true Son of God. So nothing was wanting, nor was there any defect in that which was due to her as true mother of that same God, in such a manner that to her as mother of God and to Christ as Son of God were conceded equal proportions of dignity, graces, and gifts, and merits. There was no created grace in Christ, which was not held in its proportion also by his most pure mother. The evangelist says, And he measured the city with the golden reed for twelve thousand furlongs. The measure of stadia, and the number twelve thousand, 
with which the heavenly queen at her conception was measured, indicate most exalted mysteries. The evangelist calls the perfect measure, by which are measured the high sanctity of the predestined. Stadia, therefore, by referring to the graces and gifts, which God in his eternal foreknowledge decreed to communicate through the incarnate Son, adjusting and preordaining these gifts with infinite equity and mercy. By these stadia, then, are measured all the saints and the heights of their virtues and merits. Most unhappy, he who does not come up to this measure, and who cannot be measured by it when the Lord shall measure him. The number 12,000 is used in order to include all the rest of the elect and the predestined, headed in their thousands by the twelve apostles, the princes of the Catholic Church. In the same way, they are mentioned in the seventh chapter of the Apocalypse under the leadership of the tribes of Israel. For all the elect must submit to the teaching of the apostles of the Lamb, as I have already said above. From all this can be estimated the greatness of that city of God, the Most Holy Mary. For if we assume that the stadium, which the evangelist mentions, measures at least 125 steps, then a city that extends 12,000 furlongs on stadia, on each of its four sides, and in its height, must appear of huge dimensions. The measurement and number of stadia of all the predestined taken together was founded to be equal to that of our Blessed Lady, the Most Holy Mary, and their length, breadth, and height was not greater than hers. For she that was to be the mother of God himself and the queen and the mistress of all the creatures was equal to them, joined in one mighty host, and her alone was contained more than in all the rest of creation. And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty-four cubits, the measure of a man which is of an angel. This measure of the walls of the city of God was not of their length but of their height. For if the length and the width of the city were twelve thousand stadia, Making a perfect square, it was, certainly necessary. it was certainly necessary that the walls should extend still farther on the outside in order to encompass the city. The measure of 144 cubits, of whatever length these might be, was certainly too short for a city of that extent. But that measurement would very well fit the height and the walls would be well adapted for the security and defense of those dwelling therein. This measurement of their height indicates the security of all the gifts and graces which the Almighty conferred on the Most Holy Mary as befitting her dignity and sanctity. In order to make this more plain, it is said that the height was one hundred, forty, and four cubits, an unequal number referring to three walls, a high one, a medium-sized, and a small one, and corresponding to the activity of the Queen of Heaven in great and more ordinary and more insignificant things. Not that in her there was anything insignificant, but because the object of her actions was of different kinds, and so were also her actions themselves. Some were miraculous and supernatural. Others belonged to the sphere of the moral virtues, and these latter, again, were either interior or exterior. All of them she performed with such a plenitude of perfection that she omitted not the unimportant obligations on account of the important ones, nor did the latter suffer on account of her exactitude in the former. She fulfilled them all with such an exalted holiness, and with such full approbation of the Lord, that she was measured with the standard of her most holy Son, as well in the natural as in the supernatural sphere of her life. It was the measure of the God-man himself, the angel of the great council, excelling all men and angels. With him she, as his mother, was exalted above them in proportion to her dignity. 
The evangelist continues and says, And the building of the wall thereof was of jasper stone. The walls of a city most conspicuously strike and engage the eyes of the beholder. The variety of colors and hues that distinguish the jasper stone here mentioned as composing the walls of Mary, the city of God, bespeak the ineffable humility with which all the excellences and graces of the great queen were clothed and permeated. For although she was the worthy mother of her creator, exempt from all stain of sin and imperfection, she exhibits herself to the view of mortals, as dependent upon, and as it were tinted, with the shades of the ordinary laws, to which the daughters of Adam are subject. For she subjected himself to the penalties and necessities of our common life, as I shall describe later on. Nevertheless, this wall of jasper, though apparently displaying these color tints of the rest of the womankind, was to serve as an invincible defense of the city. Inside, as the evangelist says, the city was of pure gold, like to most pure and flawless glass. For neither in the formation of the Most Holy Mary, nor afterwards, during her most innocent life, did she ever admit any stain which could obscure her crystalline clearness. For just as any stain or blemish, even if only the size of an atom, finding its way into glass during its formation, will never disappear, so as to leave no visible trace, and will always interfere with its transparency and purity. So if the most pure Mary had contracted in her conception the blemish or stain of original sin, it would always be discernible, and forever degrade and prevent her crystalline purity and transparency. Neither would she be pure gold, since her sanctity and gifts would contain the slack of original sin, lessening its fineness by many carats. Hence, this city was gold, like the purest glass, because she was most pure, and like unto the divinity. This concludes our reading today from the mystical city of God. Today is day 35, and we just read from chapter 18 of book 1, paragraphs 274 to 282, we concluded chapter 18. I don't know about you, but this was a rather bland reading today. But yet, I still think there's a few things that we can still take away from it. We did hear at the very beginning of this reading today about Mary again being the mediatrix and the portal for all of us that Maria of Agreda was given to understand that this prerogative befits her, who as mother of Christ was to do such great things for men conjointly with her most holy son. So Mary really can be seen as a cooperator with God, that God has chosen to use Mary in this way, that Mary isn't being deified here, but she is cooperating with the will and with the plan of God. We hear it. Thus, as she cooperated in his passion and offered herself as a victim for the human race, as the same Lord made her a participant in this dignity of Redeemer and placed her in charge of the merits and fruits of the redemption to be distributed by her own hand and communicated to the redeemed. So Mary is a participant in redemption. She's a participant because she is the mother of the incarnate Son of God, but she's a participant because she stood there at the foot of the cross and that she is there suffering alongside Christ. And so she is participating in the redemption of the salvation of the world as she sees her son there. There is a doctrine of the church 
Some want to see it elevated to a dogma, but sometimes and in the church's tradition, some saints have called her a co-redeemer. That doesn't mean she is equal to the redeemer, but that she cooperated in the work of redemption. And so because of her relationship as mother, she experiences great pain and sorrow for the salvation of the world. Although there is but one God and three persons, each one for himself, concedes free entrance and admission to this most pure queen, in order that before the tribunal of the immutable and triune being, God, she may intercede, solicit, and receive gifts and graces for those that seek her and honor her in the world. Well, just imagine, we're honoring Mary right now by the very fact that we're making our way through these mystical revelations of Maria of Agreda. So imagine what Mary is obtaining for us and then what she wishes to give to us, what God is allowing her to give to us. We also heard about Mary's relationship to the apostles in paragraph 276 today. She was always their instructress and model, yet in those times she alone was the chief support of the primitive church. Outside of the Holy Spirit who was with the early church, Mary is the tangible connection to Jesus and then to the apostles. And so the apostles look to Mary. And that's where we go on in the reading today. It talks about the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it talks about the different uh, ways in which the city in the heavenly Jerusalem was constructed. And that's what I think was a bit bland. Uh, hearing about all of these numbers and, and we're trying to make sense of it all. And maybe it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure it made sense to me. But it's just something, you know, we heard about these stadia and the steps. And we'd have to go a bit further, do a bit deeper dive than what I wish to do to learn about stadia and stuff like that. But, but just, I think what... This suffices to say, and it happened uh, in, in paragraph 282. And the building of the wall thereof was of jasper stone. The walls of a city most conspicuously strike and engage the eyes of the beholder. So if they're describing Mary in these descriptions, well, what we take away is that they're trying to describe that Mary is so beautiful. That Mary is, that when we look at her, when we see her, that we see the most beautiful woman that ever lived. Maybe that's what we take away. And we hear it at the very end then too, that she has to be beautiful. There can be no stain. There can be no blemish. She has to be pure because this is who she is. She can't be tainted because again of that role of being the mother of the Savior. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I am reading from the mystical city of God. I'm grateful that you tuned in today, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow as we continue with chapter 19. May God bless you today, and Mary pray for you.